All right, the book of Galatians, remember what the book of Galatians is about. It is about living the Christian life by grace. You can only be saved, the only way that anyone can ever go to heaven is through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's the only way that you can go to heaven. We have on the tables out back uh, a, a card that uh, Brother Knox has had printed up. And how many of you have seen the uh, bumper sticker that says coexist and it has the symbols for all the different religions and all of that? Have you seen that? Well, he explains why that can't happen. And then he explains what the gospel is, that salvation is only through Jesus Christ. You can get those and, and hand them out there on the tables back there. But the book of Galatians teaches us that the only way that a person can go to heaven is through faith in Jesus Christ. As we repent of our sin, Jesus Christ forgives our sin. That's something that takes place at a point in time. It's not a process. It's something that happens when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Jesus described it this way. He said, you must be born again. And we're born again not by works. You cannot be good enough. There's nothing you can do that will make you good enough to be able to go to heaven. There's only one way, and it's through Jesus Christ. That's the backbone of the book of Galatians. But that's not the point of the book of Galatians. The foundation is that salvation is by grace through faith. The teaching of the book, though, is this. The only way that you can live the Christian life is by faith. You can't do it through your own power. You must do it through the power of Jesus Christ. Why? Why is that? That's what we're going to look at this morning. And I know with the, how many of you have had a hard time sleeping with the temperature change and all this stuff? It's just, and I'm looking out at you and some of you are going like this already, drifting. All right, this is, this is really important stuff. Let's try to get a grasp of it. Why is it that we need Christ so much to help us? Well, look at what it says in verse 4. Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. He died for our sins. Nobody could kill him. He had to give himself. Why did he do it? That he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God our Father. All right? So, here's why, you were, here's why Jesus Christ has delivered you from this present evil world. Here's, here's why. Because it was the will of God. God wants you to be delivered from this present evil world. That can only happen as you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, as you have His sacrifice applied to your account. Right? Is that right? That's the only way. But His will, according to His will, we're going to be looking for the next several weeks. We have Easter coming up and then also our anniversary Sunday. We'll be doing different things on those two weeks. But other than that, for the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at what does the Bible mean? If we're going to understand the book of Galatians, we have to understand what he means by this present evil world. Now, how many of you can think of some things about this world that are evil? But what we want to look at is how does the Bible describe it? What foundation does God lay about this world? And then we want to understand what the will of God is. How many of you have ever heard somebody, I'm praying for the will of God in this situation? You know, and it's like they're looking for some mystical feeling. You know, I need to know the will of God on what color of car to buy. I don't think God's too concerned about the color of your car. Right? 
that's not the issue. That God has established at least ten different things that are His will for us in this present evil world. So, it, but we got to understand what the world is, what the, what the Bible's talking about about this present evil world, and then we can understand what God wants us to be in this world. All right. So let's let's begin here. If you look at verse four again, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. So let's learn some things about this world. You might want to write down some scripture references, and we'll just take some time. I'm going to read a verse to you. You all get your Bibles and turn to Revelation 4, 11. Revelation 4, 11. The first time the word world is used in your Bible is in 1 Samuel. We're not going to take the time to turn there, but I want to, I want to explain to you, those of you who have been at Grace Baptist for any length of time know that the first time God uses a word or mentions a subject in the Bible, He gives us a definition or an understanding of that word. It's called the law of first mention. The first time He mentions the word is 1 Samuel 2.8, and it says this, He raiseth up the poor out of the dust. He lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. Now listen to this. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he hath set the world upon them. So Jesus Christ created the world. He set the world out in the middle of nothing. And he upholds that by himself. So the first thing that we learn about the world is that God created it. And it is his. All right. So that's the first thing that we learn about the world. So how did we get to the place where it's this present evil world? How many of you think God created an evil world? No. So how did we get to the place where it's this present evil world? Well, we're going to get there. But the first thing we need to understand about the world is that God created it. This world is God's. All right? And it was created for His glory. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure... They are and were created. So this whole world was created for God. So what does that mean? Well, that means that God created this world. You are not allowed to use the world the way that you want to use it. It's not yours. How many of you remember that when you were a little kid and you're in school? Some of you are still there. You're in school and you've got something sitting on your desk that's special to you. And somebody comes over and grabs it. What do you say? That's mine. It's not yours. What are you saying? You don't have the right to mess with that because it belongs to me. That is one of our earliest understandings. Isn't that right? You have to teach a kid to share. Because it's mine. It's mine. It's mine. And some people never outgrow that. But, you know, God is very jealous of this world. It's His. So if we're going to understand the world, we have to understand that God created it. He created it for His pleasure. We're not allowed to do with the world whatever it is that we want to do with it. All right? Now, you might be sitting out there thinking, is this a green message? Well, to a certain extent it is. We are supposed to have stewardship over the earth. We're responsible to care for the earth properly. Amen? 
Uh, any of you who grew up on a farm know you had to take care of that land because that land was going to feed you, right? You had to take care of it. You all know that you don't drink your bath water. Well, you know, some of us know that. Um, you know, we understand those things. You have to take care of the world if you're going to live in it. That's stewardship. Now, I don't have time to preach a message on the environmental movement, but you understand they're nuts. Let's just, let's just, they're crazy, they're nuts, Okay. It's in the Bible. It says it. Okay, now. So many things that I want to go, but I'm going to focus. So we understand we're going to look at this world and how it ended up to be this present evil world. Remember, the world was created by God. It was created for Him. And He has the right to do with it however he, whatever He pleases. It's His. All right? So that's the first thing that we learned. Number one, the world was made for God's glory. Number two, the world was ruined by sin. The world was ruined by sin. Look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world. All right. So who was the one man by which sin entered into the world? Adam. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men. For that all have sinned. Now, if you don't know the background of that verse, those words are kind of confusing. You got to know what it means. What it's saying is Adam sinned, and because Adam sinned, sin entered into the world. Because Adam is the father of all men, Eve is the father of all, Adam and Eve, mother, father of everyone, right? Because Adam sinned, death entered into the world, sin entered into the world. All of us are descendants of Adam and Eve, and so all of us have a sin nature. We are born sinners, right? Uh, where is Josh Ferrier? Josh, you have this, this little baby boy, and what's his name? Luke, all right? Luke is a sinner. We all understand that all the way from the beginning. Luke is a sinner. Now, he doesn't know that he's sinning. He's innocent. But even in his innocence, he is born a sinner. All right. And he stays up all night sinning against you and your family. How old is he now? Two weeks old. All right. You say, how can a two week old be a sinner? We are born in sin. All of us are sinners. And here's what Romans 5.12 is telling us. We are not sinners because we sin. Okay? I'm a golfer. All right? And the thing that makes me a golfer is that I play golf. Now, badly would be another word to put in there. But the thing that makes me a golfer is that I play golf. That, and so that's the way that we think. So we think that we are sinners because we sin. That's not true. We sin because we're sinners. That's what we are. We're born that way. It's just, that's how we were raised. And this is the best illustration of it that I have. How many of you had to teach your kids how to throw a fit at Walmart? We didn't. We didn't have to teach them that. They know how to do it. So they're born sinners. What sin did was it destroyed this world. It destroyed this world. In Genesis chapter 6, the Bible says that the thoughts of men were only, the imaginations of men were only evil continually. 
And so God sent the flood into the world. And here's what the Bible says. The world that then was perished. The world that God had created perfectly. It's gone. The world that we live in is not the perfect world that God had created for us. It's a world full of sin and death and disease and problems. Why? Because of sin. Because sin entered into the world. That's the present evil world. So God created the world. It was made for His glory. And the world was ruined by sin. And all of us have been touched by this ruined world. All right? So number three. John 3.16. Can we all say that together? God still loves this world. This world is still loved by God. Let's say it together. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The world was created by God. It's for His pleasure. The world was ruined by sin, but Jesus Christ still loved the world. God still loved the world. Jesus Christ. Sometimes when we look at this ruined world, we say, how could a loving God do that? A loving God didn't do that. He didn't do that. Sin did that. Sin has consequences. And so this world was destroyed and has been ruined by sin. And yet Jesus Christ, God, still loves this world so much that Jesus Christ came as a, as a baby, born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life among all of the wickedness and filth and sin and then gave himself to die on the cross to pay for the sins of the whole world. Can you look at 1 John with me? 1 John chapter 2. 1 John. This is such an amazing thing. We have a wonderful, loving God. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2. And He, speaking of Jesus Christ, is the propitiation. Now, how many of you used that word this week? What does that mean? That's a theological term. It means a satisfactory payment. A satisfactory payment. So Jesus Christ, the Bible says, and He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole, what? World. See, God loved this world so much, even in its falling condition, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and paid the price for the sins of the whole world. Isn't that wonderful? That's the good news. How many of you here are people? Okay, if you're not sure, you can talk to me later. All right? Here's the thing. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for our sins, those of us who are born again, but not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. If someone dies and goes to hell, they didn't have to. They're paying for something that was already paid, for which something was already, they're paying for, it was already paid for. Their sin was already paid for. The problem was it wasn't applied to their account. Jesus Christ has already paid your penalty. He's paid for your sin. The payment has been made available, but it needs to be applied to your account. How does that happen? By faith. You say, Lord Jesus Christ, I believe that you died on the cross to pay for my sin. I deserve hell because of my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Please 
save me. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus died on the cross for the whole world. So here's what we have learned. Remember, He gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God the Father. So now here's what we see. This world, it was created by God for His pleasure. It was destroyed by sin, but God still loves the world and He gave His only Son to die on the cross, His only begotten Son, the only one that comes directly from Him to die on the cross to pay for our sin. So we're learning about this present world created by God, ruined by sin, still loved by God. John chapter 16. Let's look at this. John chapter 16, number 4. This world has a prince. This world has a prince. There is someone ruling this world. George Soros. No, no. <laughs> I wonder how many conspiratorialists we have here. The Bilderbergers and the Trilateralists are running the world. No. No. How many of you have heard that there is a worldwide conspiracy to bring us to a one world government? How many of you have heard that? It's true. Some people are trying to make it to the exits right now. This man is a kook. The problem is that people don't know they're a part of the world conspiracy. They don't know. The prince of this world, Satan, is leading people to the one world government. Okay? Now, it's, it's easy to talk about it now because 20 years ago, if you said... There's a one world government coming, you know, I think you're nuts, you know, Twilight Zone, you're out there. But now everyone's talking about the global community bringing into a one world system. Why is that happening? Well, look what the Bible says, John chapter 16. Let's start reading in verse 7. Jesus Christ is getting ready to leave and he says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter... See the capital C there? That's speaking of the Holy Spirit of God. The Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. And so here's what he's going to do when he comes. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So he's going to come and he's going to demonstrate to the world. He's going to reprove them. He's going to show them that they are wrong because of three things. This is what the Holy Spirit's going to do. He's going to reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. All right? Verse 9. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Now, really interesting. You might want to mark that verse. Uh, I had somebody say to me this one time. Uh, I'm talking like Yoda. I have this one to believe one. I'm, 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 it's like I have dys dyslexic English this morning. Here's what's going on. A lot of people, when you look at this verse, uh, I was talking to someone one time, and he said, well, what sin do I need to repent of? If you're going to repent, what sin do you need to repent of? Really, there's only one. 
How many of you ever had somebody say this? Do I have to give up drinking to get saved? You ever heard somebody say that? Do I have to give up this particular behavior in order to be saved? I've been asked those questions. Look at what the Bible says, that the Holy Spirit would reprove the world of. Of sin because they drink alcohol. Is that what the Bible says? Of sin because they look at pornography. Of sin because they commit adultery. What is a sin? A sin because they believe not on me. What is the sin that keeps you out of heaven? Not believing in Jesus Christ. Any sinners in this room? Anybody be a sinner? Anybody get to go to heaven? Yeah, why? Because you give up all your sin? Are you crazy? If you don't know what your sin is, come see me, I'll tell you. <laughs> now, am I saying that you're supposed to sin? No. But the Bible says in 1 John, If any man saith he has no sin, he is a liar. Liar! <laughs> and the truth is not in him. The only way that you can go to heaven is by believing on Jesus Christ. That's it. But what do you believe? You don't just believe that He is. You believe that He is the Son of God who died on the cross for your sin because you could not save yourself. So that's what the Holy Spirit is going to tell the world. All right? Then look at what the Holy Spirit is going to do. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. So here's what Jesus Christ was saying. When I'm in the world, He said this in John as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. That's what Jesus said. All right? But Jesus left. Jesus went to the right hand of his Father. And so when... Here, Nick, come on up here. Let's say Nick is Jesus. I know it's a stretch. But let's say, let's say that Nick is Jesus. As long as Nick is here, as long as Jesus is here, I have something to compare myself to. So as long as Jesus is there, anybody here more righteous than Jesus? No. So I can compare myself to Jesus and see that I'm not righteous. All right? Thanks, Nick. He's gone now. He's gone. But he didn't leave us. He sent the Holy Spirit, and now the Holy Spirit shows us what righteousness is. All right? And so that's what the Holy Spirit is here to do. Then look at what it says. Of judgment... Because the prince of this world is judged. The prince of this world is judged. Satan is the prince of this world. We're going to look at that a little bit more in a second. Now look at what it says in verse 12. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I, that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you. A little while, and ye shall not see me. And again, a little while, and ye shall see me, because I go to the Father." So Jesus Christ is saying, I'm going to leave for a while and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit 
And when the Holy Spirit is here, what's He going to do? He's going to be judging the world because the prince of this world is judged. All right? So we've seen that God created this world. It was for His pleasure. The world was ruined by sin. God still loved the world and sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross to pay for the sins of the world. And now we're seeing that this world has a prince, and that prince is Satan. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. All right, so here's what happens when you get saved. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. So you're made alive through Jesus Christ. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the who? The prince of the power of the air, the spirit that used to work in the children of disobedience. What's your Bible say? The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. The reason this world is such a mess is because it has a prince and that prince is working in people. Right? And if you believe in Satan now, people think you're nuts. Look around. The evidence of Satan's work is all over the place. This world has a prince. Do you think maybe that's why it's this present evil world? He's called that wicked one. He's called the evil in Ephesians chapter 6. He's called the evil in John chapter 17. So this present evil world is evil because it has a prince. Wait a minute. We sing, This is my father's world. The earth belongs to God, but it has a prince. Why is that? Because man fell. Sin has entered into the world. The world rejected Jesus Christ. He came into the world, and the world received Him not. It did not know Him. In Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, Satan takes Jesus Christ up onto a high mountain and he tempted him. And one of the temptations, Satan offered him all the kingdoms of the world. Imagine if you said, Pastor, I'm going to give you the pen that you already have. That's not much of a temptation, is it? You see, the kingdoms of this world right now belong to Satan. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is going to put all things under his feet. But all things are not yet under his feet. That's what the Bible says. That's going to happen when Jesus Christ returns in the kingdom and establishes his kingdom on this earth. So right now, this present evil world, it was created perfectly for God and for his pleasure. Sin entered into the world and ruined the world. God still loved it, sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross to pay for the sins of the whole world. But this world is evil because it has a prince. All right? So, this world has a prince. And because that prince is working in the hearts of men, this world rejected Jesus Christ. Look with me. The world rejected Jesus Christ.
Look at John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Now, here's the deal. I know some of you are thinking, well, wait a minute. I know a lot of this stuff already. We're, we're trying to establish what the Bible is talking about in Galatians about this present evil world. Let's put all of this together, and then we can understand what the will of God is for us in this world. All right. Speaking about Jesus Christ, John chapter 1 and verse 10. He was in the what? In the world. So do you see our context? What are we talking about? The world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him. And the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You're born of God, born again. That's what happens when you receive him. If you don't receive him, then you are part of the world that rejected Jesus Christ, this present evil world. Look with me at Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. And look at verse 42. Jesus saith unto them, Did you never read, where Matthew chapter 21, verse 42, Jesus saith unto them, Did you never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the world. Everything is supposed to be built on Him. But that stone was rejected. It was rejected. But ultimately, the world will be built on Him in His kingdom. All right? So the world was Made for God's glory and for His pleasure. The world was ruined by sin. It was still loved by God. The world has a prince. And the world rejected Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to see something that's very clear. This is our next point. What about this present evil world? It will be punished by God. This world, it will be punished by God. So, here's the point. Don't get too attached to it. It's going away. You know, you've heard that property in California is really expensive because it's going fast. It's going to fall into the ocean any minute. All right? This world, we get so attached to it and to things. It's going away. Let's, let's build that understanding from the Scriptures. All right? Let's, let's look at it. Uh, look with me at Isaiah chapter 13. Isaiah chapter 13. It's interesting, all these people that talk about the love of God and how God is peace, and they've never read the Bible. Now, God is love, isn't He? And God will give peace. But God is at war with evil. God is at war. The Bible says God is angry with the wicked every day. All right, Isaiah chapter 13, look with me in verse 9. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh. Now, immediately, those of you who have been at Grace Baptist for any period of time, you know when you see that day of the Lord, the day of the Lord in your Bible always refers to the time when Jesus Christ returns to this earth to establish His kingdom. All right? The day of the Lord. And here's what happens when He comes. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel, both with wrath 
and fierce anger to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. And I will punish, what? The world for their evil, and the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease, and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. So this is what's coming. God is going to punish the earth. Is that clear? That's very clear from the Scriptures. Look at Second Peter. Let's go to the New Testament. Wade, will you grab me a bottle of water? Thank you. Second Peter, chapter 3. Such a beautiful and sobering passage. Second Peter, chapter 3, and verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. What does that mean, slack? He, he's not lazy. He's not going to neglect it. They never call you a slacker. You know, that's not God. All right? The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So what does God want you to do? He doesn't want you to perish. He wants you to come to repentance. If you're here this morning... Thank you, man. So if you're here this morning and you have not received Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Lord doesn't want you to perish. He's not happy that you reject Him. He wants to save you. That's, that's what He wants. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But, you see that phrase again? The day of the Lord. The, now, is that a phrase, Nathaniel? Or is that a clause? It's a phrase. Okay, good. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which... The heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and all the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. How are you going to be found in peace? Well, we've already discovered that in the book of Galatians. Peace comes from God. The only way that you can be at peace with God is when the hostility that you have with God ceases. That hostility between you and God will not cease until you repent of your sin, the sin of unbelief, and come to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. When there's peace with God through salvation in Jesus Christ, then you stand before God 
blameless because you're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, completely clean. See, this world's going away. This world will be punished. And it's amazing how much we want to hold on to all of this stuff. All right, so let's go on. This world will be punished, but then I think something that we misunderstand, we, we hear this, that God is going to judge the world. No. He's going to execute judgment. Judgment has already been passed. Let's look at it. This world has already been judged. John chapter 12. John chapter 12. This present evil world. We're discovering what that means. John chapter 12. Look at verse 23. And again, you'll see immediately this is the exact context that we're dealing with. Verse 23. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. All right? So what's going to happen? When is the Son of Man going to be glorified? When He's crucified. All right? Then God, after He's resurrected, God will return His glory to Him. Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. What? What is this right here? What is this speaking of unto life eternal? Okay, everybody, you've seen somebody walk out of the service before. Let's focus. This, this is what's going on. Um, he that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life, where? In this world, shall keep it unto life eternal. So here's the idea. You're going to, as a believer, you're going to live your life in this world as if you hate it. Wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. Well, because if you live according to this world, why in the world would you give up your Sunday to come to church? This is your day off. Why would you do that? Why, why, would, you, why would you give up money that you could have for a bass boat to support the Lord's work? Why would you do that? Why would you give money to send missionaries around the world that you could use for your family vacation? Why would you do that? Because this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasure's laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Amen? You see, you're living differently than the rest of the world. Your, your priorities are different. When you love the Lord, when you love the Lord, you don't live like the world. Sunday becomes the Lord's day. You give that day to Him. You give up worldly activities to serve Him and to come together and devote yourself to other believers in the Lord's work and in the Lord's house. That's, you're living differently than the world. Then look at verse 26. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my Father honored. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. 
But for this cause came I into this world, unto this hour. I'm sorry. For this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. I'll tell you what, when Jesus Christ prays something to the Father, the Father responds. Now look at what it says. The people, therefore, that stood by heard it and said that it thundered. Others said an angel spake to him. Now, just verse 29. I hope that you'll mark verse 29. We could preach an entire message on this that nobody has any idea. When they say they're hearing from God, they don't have any idea what it is. Some people thought it was thunder. Other people thought it was an angel. But it was God the Father speaking to God the Son. How can you be sure about your visions? How about you just read the Bible? Okay? Verse 30. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Would you mark the word now? We often say God is going to judge this world. No, He's going to execute judgment. Judgment's already passed. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Now and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. The prince of this world is judged, and this world is judged. The world has been judged by its rejection of Jesus Christ. And what's interesting about this to me? The world passed judgment on itself by rejecting Jesus Christ. Now God's going to execute the judgment. And now some people say, well, wait a minute. If only we knew that was going to happen. God hasn't been clear enough about it. Look at the book of Jude with me. Jude 1, verse 14. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to do what? What is it? To execute judgment upon all. And to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. This world was created by God for his pleasure. It was destroyed by sin. God loved it, sent his son into the world to die for every man. He paid the penalty for every man, all the sins of the world. But this world has a prince. The prince has established a world system that's completely against God. And God's going to punish the world, but he has already judged it. He's already judged it. He's just coming back to execute that judgment. And then, two last things and we'll be done. This world will keep people from salvation. This world will keep people from salvation. Look with me at Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Verse 22. This is the parable of the sower. 
And if you remember, Jesus Christ said the sower went out to sow the seed. And then he describes what happened to that seed. Now he is explaining to his disciples what the parable meant. And if you look at verse 22, the Bible says, He also that received seed, and remember he has told us what the seed is. The, 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 the field is the world. The seed is the word of God. He has told us this already. He that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word. Remember, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of what? And the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. So here's what happens. I come and I tell Patrick, look, Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. He loves you so much that he paid the penalty for your sin so that you can go to heaven. The word of God is true. You can trust it. And Patrick believes the word of God. But he owns a bar. And if he gets saved, he might have to stop doing that. So he cares so much about the world that he can't get saved. But I give the gospel to Patrick and he, he, he hears it and, and he believes it, but he loves the world too much to give it up. He cares too much for his lifestyle. He cares too much for his culture. He cares too much about what the world is going to think about him. And what happens is, that care for this world chokes out the Word of God in his life, and he can't be saved. You say, Pastor, wait a minute. You said people have asked you the question, do I have to give up drinking to get saved? Well, if you think that your drinking is more important than Jesus Christ, you can't be saved. Pastor, you're confusing me. You're confusing me. It, what salvation is, is saying, Lord Jesus, I deserve hell. You're the only thing that matters. You're the only thing. You're Lord. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Savior shall be saved. Is that what the Bible says? What's it say? Does that mean anything? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But to call on the name of the Lord means everything's got to change. It doesn't mean you change everything to get saved. But you realize that when Jesus Christ is your Savior, that everything else you've trusted in is wrong. Everything else you've trusted in is wrong. Why did God condemn the world? Because they believe not on the Son of God. What don't they believe? That He's the only way to heaven. That He's the only Lord. That He's the only Savior. That He's the only thing. This world will keep you from that. And it's interesting how this world will keep you from telling other people. Look, this world will keep you from serving the Lord. This world will keep people from salvation. You know, I, I want to say this. Uh, I had written this in my notes, and so uh, it's so important. We have these young people. So here's Kayla, Kayla Sue. 
here's Kayla. Um, Kayla was... Brent and Carrie, are you guys up here? You're downstairs. They're downstairs. Were your parents already here at church when you were born? Okay. So Kayla grows up at Grace Baptist Church. She goes to junior church. She goes to Awana, all of those things. All right. She hears the gospel as a very small child. And how old were you when you got saved? Six years old. All right. Now, how many of you know that your mind is not completely developed when you're six years old? All right. She hears the gospel when she's six years old. But what happens is they bring her Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. She's here for Sunday school. She's here for Awana. And so what happens is the world doesn't have the chance to choke out the word. Amen. How many of you ever heard this? Well, I brought them to church. You ever heard that? Yeah. You brought them to church one service a week and then you didn't live it at home. And your kids end up living like the devil. See, that's why the church is so important. The Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Why? Because this world wants to destroy you. We need the support of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need other people to minister to. We need other people to love. We need other people to love us. And more than anything else, we need our children to have that word confirmed in their lives every service over and over and over again. I got to tell you, there's not a ball game in the world that's worth your child going to hell. I said it on a Sunday night, and I will say it again on Sunday morning. We have Christians that ball games are more important than their children's eternity. It's wicked. It is wicked. I thank God that we have godly coaches in this church that are leading children. Praise God for that. Amen? But to pull your children out of church for a ball game? For a ballerina thing or whatever? Do you know what we don't understand? We don't understand that that ball team, the other kids on the team, the parents of those kids, what Satan will do is take that and use that to choke the Word of God out of your children before it can be confirmed in their lives. That's what this present evil world does. You say, Pastor, are you saying my kids shouldn't play ball? Not on church time. Well, he has a chance to play in the NFL. Well, probably not. But even so, NFL or heaven? Saying, Pastor, are you saying that nobody's saved who plays in the NFL? Of course not. Come on. What I'm saying, though, is this world wants to destroy your family, and you're not going to help them by keeping them out of church. You're not going to help them by keeping them away from the people that want to teach them the Word of God and have the Bible established in them. Amen? 
Man, this is so vitally important. And here's why it's so hard to say it. There's people in this room. There are people in this room right now who absolutely hate every word that I've just said. You're mad at me. I love you too much to not say it. I love your kids too much to not say it. This present evil world wants to keep you so busy that you don't have time to teach your kids the Word of God. This present evil world wants to bring so many things into your life that you can't serve Him, that you just can't do it. This world will keep people from salvation, and this world will keep you from serving God. Look at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Here's what happens. Look at verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. What does that mean? What do you do with a sacrifice in the Bible? What was done with a sacrifice? It was killed. It was chopped up, given to God. That's what the sacrifice was, right? All right, so now the Apostle Paul, based on everything that the book of Romans has taught us, he's now begging you to present your body a living sacrifice. You're giving your body completely to God. So now you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So this service for God... You're giving yourself completely to Him, wholly. All right? That's reasonable. That's not extreme. You guys, are, you, you, you just think that we always have to be at church. You just think that, that if we do anything out in the world, we're sinners. You just think, what? Really? See, your service for God takes place here and out in the world. Amen? I'm thankful that we have godly kids playing on the ball team with unsaved kids so those unsaved kids can see what Christian kids look like. How many of you think that the best way to show them that is to show them that Christian kids don't go to church because of ball games? Is that what Christians do? I'll ask you again. Is that what Christians do? Do the kids on your kid's ball team know that? How would they know it? How would they know what the priority in your life is? Well, they schedule the game on Sunday. They'll be okay without you. Here, let's, let's read on. And obviously, this passage is not only about ball games, but it's the perfect example. It's just reasonable. And be not conformed to this world. The world says, my time is mine. I can do what I want with it. Right? And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What happens when you, when you learn to think new? What happens when your mind has been changed by the Word of God? What happens? Look at what happens that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So let's use our baseball. Let's use our ball game analogy. 
All right? When you are thinking biblically, you understand that the world wants to choke out the Word of God from your child's life. The, this world system, listen to what the Bible says. All that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, that's what is in this world. Satan has established that to destroy your child. So the, when you transform your mind, you understand that. This entire world is set up from the time they go to kindergarten until they graduate from college, until they enter into the workplace, what they watch on television, what they hear on the radio, what they hear from their friends. The worldly wisdom is designed to choke the Word of God out of your child. When you're transformed in your mind, you understand that. Right? Praise God for our Christian teachers that stand in the face of that stuff and try to, to, to give truth to the kids in our system. Amen? Praise God for that. But understand that the entire world system, everything in the world, is designed to choke out your family, to choke out God's Word, to destroy God's work in your life. That's what the world is there for. So, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, completely changed in something new, by the renewing of your mind. Why? Why are we doing that? That we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, when we change our lives, when we live a holy life in this present evil world, it proves to the world what God's will is. How many of you think it's God's will that believers be in church? How many of you think it's God's will? How many of you think it's God's will that you bring your kids to church? How about we prove that to the world? How about we prove that to me, mom, people when they come in to visit? It's interesting. If grandma and grandpa come into town and you have a football game, your child's playing in the football game, where are grandma and grandpa going to be? No, you're going to stay home because grandma and grandpa are here. You're not going to go to that game. Right? Y'all looking at me strange. You're going to be at the football game, right? With grandma and grandpa and the kids. So you have church and family comes in. Oh, I had to stay home because family was in. What are we proving to the world? Somebody answer. Family is more important than the Lord. Family is more important than church. Family is more important than the thing for which Jesus Christ died. Remember what Jesus said, what the Bible says in Ephesians? He loved the church and gave himself for it. But football is way more important than that. Come on, pastor, get with it. Don't you understand? We've got to live in this world. Huh. Who's been transformed? Then, the world will keep you from proving what God's will is. This world will keep you from walking in the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 2, we've looked at the passage. It'll keep you from walking in the Spirit. The Bible says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, who walked according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in children of disobedience, who walk according to the course 
of this world. We're not supposed to walk that way. But this world will keep you from walking in the Spirit. It'll make you walk like the rest of the world. And then it will keep you from being a good soldier. Look with me at 2 Timothy. This world will keep you from being a good soldier. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Man, I can't, I can't teach. I can't work in Awana. I can't do that. I can't. I'm too busy. We can't have our kids at church. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. You see, when you go off to war, one of the things that, that I've heard from military families is they ask the families not to tell the soldier about trouble at home. Why? Because it can get them killed. Right? When, if you're going to be a soldier, you've got to give everything else up. If you're going to be a soldier for Jesus Christ, isn't it wonderful He hasn't asked us to give everything else up? He's just asked us to put Him first. To establish a priority. Do you know what this present evil world does? It puts Jesus way down on the totem pole. It, now here, honestly, okay, I'm done. This is it. I'm done. But do you know what this present evil world has done? It's made us think that we're really good people because we give Him an hour on Sunday. Well, I go to church. Now, we're supposed to be living the Christian life every minute of every hour of every day. Whether we're here in the church house or whether we're at the workplace or the playground or the ball field or the golf course or the shooting range, wherever we are, we are supposed to be representing our Savior, looking for opportunities to influence people for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen? We can't be equipped to do that. We cannot be properly equipped to do that if we just wink at God and said, okay, I've given you my hour. The rest of it belongs to me. Amen? Let's just serve God. You see, let's go back to Galatians and we'll be done. Let's just, let's just put a bow on this thing. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. You see, God's will is that you be delivered from the entanglement that we all have with this present evil world. Amen? Let's pray that God will do that in our lives.